0: Pastor Rod gave us the opportunity, us being the guest speakers, the opportunity to select our topic or our character for this series that he created called Change. And we're looking at stories from the New Testament and from real life about uh, people who were changed because of their encounter with Jesus Christ, when they met Jesus Christ. And so from the moment that he made made me aware of that, Andrew, the disciple, popped up in my mind. I wanted to talk about Andrew. And so we're going to look at Andrew in this first chapter of John. And I want you to take your Bibles, if you have them, turn to the first chapter of John. I'm going to read to you some verses beginning with verse 35. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. And as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and then declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. Then John's two disciples turned and followed him. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He said to them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about about four o'clock in the afternoon when when they went with him to the place, and they stayed there the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who had heard what John said and then followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. And looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, You are Simon, the son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Well, let's, let's look at Andrew and let's talk about who Andrew is and so forth. All right, we're going to talk about his encounter with Christ and how that encounter. Uh, changed him this morning. We're told by pollsters who do these spiritual surveys uh, on spiritual matters that people generally have a hunger in their life. It's a spiritual hunger that they have. The, uh, the uh, Blaise Pascal said that it's a God-shaped vacuum. It's in each of our lives. And so we spend a good part of our lives trying to fill that vacuum, trying to find the things that will fill that vacuum. And so every human being is really a seeker. There's not anyone in the human race that's not a seeker. And we just find different ways or we look at different approaches to fill that vacuum. For some people, it's material possessions. You know, they just have to have more stuff, more toys, uh, more things, for other people, it's financial gains. They just need to have more money. And the thing about that is that, with any of that stuff, is that once you start to acquire it, you need to have more than you never find enough. For others, it's pleasure. They're always looking for something for, uh, for pleasure's sake. And still others, it may be for status or for achievements. But they have this vacuum that just they can't seem to fill it at all. And the problem behind that is that that complete satisfaction never occurs because that, that vacuum has been shaped by God and it needs to be filled by God. It needs something very specific. It needs something very spiritual to fill it. Well, last December, you know, come Wednesday, you will probably wishing that we had a December day because of all the heat and humidity. By the way, I'm from Michigan. I grew up in Michigan. And I spent 13 years in the South, and when I came back to Michigan, I came back saying I would never complain about humidity, okay? Because if you've never lived in the South, what we ha- call humidity here is really just a drop in the bucket, okay? Uh, I don't complain about it anymore, but we complain about it, you know. If it's not the winter time, it's the summer time, you know. In April, we were complaining we wanted the heat. Now we got the heat, we want the winter again, right? Well, maybe not all of winter, but we're on cooler temperatures. Back in December, it was Advent, and you were reading some scripture passages that that probably about Mary finding out that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. Well, in Luke's version of that story, he also tells a story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Elizabeth was Mary's cousin, And, and they were too old, really, to have children, but an angel from the Lord came to them and said, You also are going to have a child. Now, you're not going to have a child like Mary's going to have a child, Brought on by the Holy Spirit, but you're going to, and by God, but you're going to have a miracle baby too, and that child was also going to play a very important part as the forerunner of his cousin Jesus. His name was John the Baptist. Now, prior to John the Baptist coming on the scene, there was this 400-year period between the end of the Old Testament Malachi and the beginning of the New Testament uh, uh, Matthew. And we call that the, the intertestamental period, but sometimes we call it the silent years. Because it seemed as though God was silent during that time. And al- although God may have seemed silent, he was never inactive. Our God is never silent or, or he's never sleeping. You know, it's 24-7, 365, he's always there. So he was busy. He was moving greatly. He was preparing his people for the coming of his son. But we have very little indication or movement of God in, that's recorded in the lives of people until John the Baptist arrives. And he shows up in the wilderness, and he's not like most people. First of all, he's wearing uh, skins made out of camel hair. All right, And then he, is, uh, he has... He eats a different kind of food. He was enjoying locusts and wild honey, okay? When was the last time you had locusts and wild honey, right? Well, none of us really would care for that, but that's what he would eat, okay? And he came out with a particular message, and that created an interest in people. He sounded different than most other teachers and preachers of that time. He was a bit of a firebrand, we might say, in the way that he spoke. And he talked about the coming of a person who was going to change destiny. And so he spoke of the need for the people to be baptized in the Jewish sense of being baptized. That was for a cleansing, to repent of current sins and to be cleansed and start over again. So for years before Christ, the Jews practiced baptism. They would baptize their Gentile proselytes, the people that wanted to convert from or become Jews who were Gentiles. And they would go through this cleansing ceremony of baptism. But John took the baptism and he applied it to the Jews themselves and said, it wasn't just the Gentiles who needed cleansing as this other person was appearing. So John appears on the horizon out in the wilderness, and he attracts disciples, those who follow him, those who wanted to sit at his feet and be his students. He was their teacher. They were his students. That that is what disciple means. It literally means a learner, a student. And so these were people who wanted to spend time with John. they, They were with him as he was proclaiming in front of people, but they were also spending intimate time with him, learning more about what he was saying. And in John 1, we find John the Baptist making some references about Jesus. He was seeing Jesus in the distance. Jesus was probably listening in to what John was saying, and John was saying that here is the one who is the Lamb of God, okay, who takes away the sins of the world. He also said he is the one who's going to baptize with the Spirit. I baptize you with water, John says, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He also referred to Jesus as the chosen one of God. So when we come to our text that we read this morning, beginning in verse 35, John is standing with two of his disciples, and Jesus happens to walk by, and he points out, and he says, there goes the Lamb of God. And one of those disciples was Andrew. Now here's what we know about Andrew. Andrew was from the town of Bethsaida that was on the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee, and then at the south end it flows out and goes to the Dead Sea. If you Google Bethsaida, if you Google Bethsaida, don't go to Bethsaida, Mississippi, okay? Okay, that's the wrong Bethsaida. Go to, go to Bethsaida Junction, and it'll take you to, the, to Palestine. It'll take you to, to that land, and it'll show you a, a place. I don't think Bethsaida is there any longer, but the junction is there, and that's basically where the town was, and, and that's where Simon, Andrew's brother, and Andrew were from. They were fishermen. But evidently, Andrew left the business for a while to become this disciple of John's because you have to spend time. You can't fish and be a disciple at the same time. Well, I want us to notice, first off, about Andrew. What I see about Andrew is that Andrew was not simply a seeker, all right? You know, there there are people who are hangers-on. You know, they, they don't really immediately connect with somebody who's kind of dynamic like John the Baptist. They kind of stand on the fringes. Kind of listen to see what's going on. They want to make sure that things sound okay. They want to make sure that you know, nothing goes sour with what they're trying to promote and so forth. They don't really join in. I call them the wait and see people. Let's wait and see what happens with this, okay? But Andrew was a disciple, which means that he had committed himself to being a learner and to a particular teacher. And so he was a man who evidently had some spiritual interests. I think that we all have an innate desire for spiritual things. Some of us discover that early on. I discovered that when I was a young, young boy, uh, about nine years old, right, in my experience. But others, they find out later on, they're teenagers, or sometimes they're adults before they realize that they have this spiritual interest that's going on. So what John the Baptist was saying and what he was preaching appealed to Andrew. There was something about it that that piqued his interest. And so one day, as Andrew is standing along with the other disciple of John, they see Jesus. And John says to to his disciples, look, there is the Lamb of God. And when Andrew heard that, he and this other disciple left John and went to follow Jesus. Now, sidebar, one sidebar. John was not at all disturbed by by Andrew and this other disciple leaving and going to Jesus. As I mentioned in the last service, you know, sometimes preachers, we pastors, you know, if somebody happens to say, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to go join over at, you know, and such a church, okay? Sometimes we take it real personal. Man, you know, I kind of failed on that one, maybe, you know. But John didn't see it that way, because in John chapter 3, John makes a reference, John the Baptist says, I must increase so that Jesus might increase. He knew that his job was simply a a preparation job, and that some of his disciples would go to Jesus, and that was perfectly fine, because that's what they were supposed to do. He wasn't there to be the Savior, Jesus was, and so it didn't bother him that, that Andrew and this other disciple went over there. And so they go, and they follow Jesus. And as they're following Jesus, Jesus turns and says to them, what do you want? What do you want? Now, want is not a very good word here in this translation because the Greek word actually means to seek or to search for. And so Jesus is saying to these two men, what are you seeking? What are you desiring? What are you looking for? By following me. And it's very interesting because Jesus knows that we're all seekers. And with this God-shaped vacuum in our life, and so he goes right to the heart of the matter with Andrew and this other disciple, and he says, what are you seeking? Now, these are the first recorded words of Jesus in this gospel, and he says, what are you seeking? Now, can you imagine what goes through the minds of these two disciples of John? You know, how are they going to respond to this? What are they going to say, you know? Well, this is the question that Jesus asks everyone who encounters him. He says to all of us, what are you seeking? What are you searching for? What do you desire? And we have to ask ourselves, what are we searching for? What are we needing? Because if it's fulfillment, real fulfillment is found in Jesus. And so, these disciples reply, Rabbi, where are you staying? And that sounds like a strange response to us, doesn't it? You know, of all the things that you could say right now to Jesus, this guy that somehow has gotten your interest, and you say, where are you staying? You know, Are you down to sleep in? Where are you? You know, where are you at? Well, it, it, it follows a traditional procedure of that time of establishing a unique bond between a teacher and a student. Their question implies that these two men wanted to spend more time with Jesus than just being able to ask a few questions on the side of the road. They were serious. The word that's used there, staying, is the word meno. meno. And meno from Greek means to remain or to stay. And it occurs three times in John chapter 1, verses 38 and 39. So there's and it and it refers to both a physical place or a spiritual place. And so what they're saying, and and the wordplay that might be going on there, is that these are two men who not only want to know where Jesus' physical location is, they want to join, they want to know where they're looking for a spiritual place as well. And so and so they went with Jesus and they stayed with him starting at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. Now, we soon learn that they end up remaining with Jesus for three years, right? They were with him for the rest of his ministry on the earth. But we have no idea what went on in that location, wherever it would be. Some say that Jesus may, be, may have just been staying outside on the riverbank. We don't really know. But in verse 39, there's this large gap of information, From 4 p.m. to the rest of the day, what did Jesus and Andrew and this other disciple talk about? Or what did Andrew and this other disciple hear as Jesus was teaching them? Did Jesus lay out his intentions? Did he lay out his master plan? Did he explain to them what John the Baptist had been saying about him? Did he elaborate on that? You know, He'd been called by John the, the Lamb of God. He'd been called the chosen one of God. So did he elaborate on those points? We don't know. We can only speculate, but there would be no purpose behind that at all. But here's what I think we can believe about those hours that we have no record about. Believe it or not, this is what I think we can believe about that. Whatever Jesus said to Andrew and the other disciple, combined with what they had already heard from John the Baptist and, and, and what he had taught them, Whatever they heard in that location was enough to lead them to believe that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. And we know this, we can assume this, based on what Andrew did immediately after staying with Jesus. Because in that next verse, it says, He went and he found his brother Simon, and he told him, We have found the Messiah. Can you imagine that? Imagine being in the presence of somebody who piques your interest so much and, and, and has such a compelling message, such a compelling plan that I got to tell somebody, right? And so they immediately, he immediately goes to his brother and says, we have found the Messiah. And so he brings Simon to Jesus. But we're going to stop there because we want to deal with Andrew. We don't want to deal with Simon today. Maybe somebody else is going to deal with Simon. I don't know, but we're going to stop there. But what I want us to consider here is that the gospel change in Andrew motivated him to go to his brother. He had to tell somebody, and the first obvious choice was his family member. Now, we don't see a dramatic experience going on for Andrew. You know, with Paul, there was a blinding light on the road to Damascus, and and Jesus spoke to him, all right? We don't have anything like that in this, in this story. We don't have anything, you know, that, that no miracle that necessarily took place, obvious miracle. What I see here, what I hope you see here, is the gospel at work in very small and quiet ways, but still bringing change that needs to be shared. It's kind of like yeast in dough. You put a little yeast in dough. Now, Jesus always said, beware of the yeast. You know, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Paul said, you know, beware of yeast. You know yeast, you put a little yeast in the dough and it leavens the whole dough. It goes through the whole dough. Yeast works quietly, silently, invisibly. And you might see the result in the rising of the dough. But other than that, you really don't know what's going on, all the chemical change that's happening inside that dough. Andrew and this other disciple, who, by the way, is probably John, the writer of the gospel of John. John had a habit of not referring to himself in his own gospel. He would would refer to himself sometimes as the disciple whom Jesus loved, but he wouldn't give reference to himself. So it could be that this second disciple with Andrew is probably more than likely John. So Andrew and John... We're already disciples committed to learning, but Jesus now piques their interest even more because they see him as another teacher who's different from all the other teachers. There's something distinctly different about this man. He teaches with authority, and so they decide to follow him. And in the early stages of that process, they have to tell someone. And for Andrew, it was his brother. So then both Andrew and Simon become disciples of Jesus. Now that word disciple, it was an early term for believers in Jesus Christ, those who believed in him as the promised Messiah. It's important to understand that the New Testament calls for disciples, not mere decisions. So Christianity is an initial decision of repentance and, and faith, but it's followed by an ongoing decision of obedience and perseverance. Christianity is not a fire insurance policy. It's not a ticket to heaven. It's a daily servant-friend relationship that you have with Jesus. When we join up with Jesus, we need to develop a daily relationship with him that transforms us. That's like the yeast. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. And that's the goal for us. We need to become like the teacher. We need to stay with Jesus or remain with Jesus. Even in this busy and hectic world in which we live, we, we carve out time for our hobbies. We carve out time for exercise. We carve out time for our children and our families. We need to carve out time to spend with Jesus as well. Because we cannot get by with simply soundbite Christianity. We need to spend some time with him to become like him. We spend time with him by engaging in one of the four gospels regularly. You know, we need to decide that every other month or so we take a gospel and we read through it. Because you can't know Jesus until you read his story, right? You can't know what he did until you read what he did. And so we need to spend time with that. You know, in high school, I carried a Bible with me. Because when I was in high school, we were right in the middle of the Jesus movement. I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember the Jesus movement? But but between late 1960s and the late 1970s, there was the Jesus movement. All these young people coming to know Christ, and all this new music that was coming on to the to, that was turning our parents just oh they were just red with anger sometimes. You know all the new stuff and so forth. You know I was a big Larry Norman fan back then. Still, I'm a big Larry Norman fan, by the way. If you know Larry Norman, he was like the father of of the Christian contemporary Christian music movement. Well. I carry this Bible with me. Okay? Today we can carry the Bible this close to us. Right? All you need is the your is the Bible app, you know, Your Bible or Bible Gateway or BibleStudyTools.com or you know, there's several different Bible apps out there and all you need, this is how close the Bible can be to you. And then when you're at work, at lunch, on break, you can be looking, you know, you can be looking at the gospels and and learning about Jesus. Or, or um, if you're in the car, I know with Bible Gateway, you can make your Bible audio and it will read to you while you're going along. But there's all these opportunities to have the Bible right next to us. Because the only way that we learn about Jesus is to read about Jesus. And so we spend time with him. We stay with him. We become like him. We live and speak and behave like Jesus. And he changes our uh, and and as our lives change and our day-to-day walk with Jesus, it brings other, it brings change in others. My wife comments occasionally as she's reading the stuff going on in the world. She sees what's happening in some of the newscasts. She reads what's going on on Facebook and all these different you know sources. She she'll look at me and occasionally she'll say to me, "Whatever happened to WWJD? You know how many had wristbands?" You know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? A lot of people, I think, have forgotten, what would Jesus do? But that's what we need to do. Our lives, as our lives change, it can bring change in others. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Can you imagine that? That your life with Christ would be so dynamic... Not necessarily outstanding, but be so dynamic in a way that others that don't believe in God would question their disbelief in God. Because what they see, how they see you living your life as a Christ follower. Jesus said, let your light so shine among men that they will see your good works and give praise to the Father who is in heaven. You know what's interesting about about, Andrew? Andrew? We don't hear a lot about Andrew in the Gospels. Only a few times that we really see him in the Gospels. But Andrew is like the seismic fault that carries his name. You know, the San Andreas Fault? St. Andrew? Out of sight. Below ground. Below the scene. But always moving. Always shifting. He was always moving. Now, he doesn't react in the same way the San Andreas Fault does. But this is what... This is what happens with Andrew. He is always introducing others to Jesus. First it was his brother Simon. Then it becomes the little boy who, the boy who has the five loaves and two fish. And Jesus feeds the 5,000 from that. And then later on, Andrew brings some Greeks and introduces them to Jesus. All that's in the Gospel of John. He's an introducer, okay, Andrew experienced something amazing in Christ, and he couldn't keep something so wonderful to himself. His witness came natural from his own experience with Jesus. And so the question is not really why should I witness, but how can I not witness? And we're not saying, you know, you need to go out there and and knock on the doors of all your neighbors and friends and family and, 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 and do that, but your life needs to be a testimony about Jesus. St. Francis said, preach often and sometimes use words. And that's what it's like. And so when we meditate on the amazing gift that God has given us and how amazing God himself is, we'll be filled with a natural desire to tell others about it. So at First Baptist, for many years, I would have what we called reflection and I would reflect on some points that I'd made uh, in the message and so forth for people to think about. You guys have what to call your next steps for this week, and they're in your worship folder, and, and they're, they're perfect. I think Rod designed those, but when I read them, I said they go great with what I'm going to say. And so your next steps are this, to ask the question, do I really seek God or do I simply want something he can help me get? Because God is not our celestial Santa Claus. He's not our heavenly Santa Claus that we sit on his lap and ask him for things and he gives them to us, okay? He wants a relationship through Jesus. So then the second thing is, when was the first time in my life I remember feeling drawn to follow after Jesus? And what was it about Jesus that first drew me to him? And then finally, and this is the one about, let me introduce you. Who is it you need to introduce? Who is the person, the one person I am most eager and longing to take to introduce to Jesus Christ? I want you to think about those things. Even as we're sitting here and just before we leave, uh, and, and, and then also through the week, think about these things. Let's, let's just bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the stories that can speak to our hearts in many in different ways. We thank you for Andrew and how you worked in his life. And it was quiet. It wasn't a a grand experience, but you changed his life. And in many of our experiences, it's the same way. Father, I just pray that as the week goes on, you'll lead us to that person with whom we need to introduce them to you. In Jesus' name, amen.